Good morning. You guys look so good this morning. Give yourselves a hand, will you? Up in the house. Can we just? Yeah. Give yourselves a hand. Y'all are just. You're here. You're ready. Beautiful. I love this. Uh, We had a lot of new people in, uh, new to us. And anyway, I want to welcome you, and I want to welcome all of our viewers online uh, today too. Uh, We hope we have something today that can give you some practical tools for your marriages, or if you intend to get married sometime. Yeah. You're thinking about marriage. Uh, hopefully this morning will be a blessing to you. Yeah, so we really wanted, you know, February. Hallmark decided that February was going to be the month of love so we could all, you know, buy things like boxes of candy and heart shapes. I don't know. Does anybody eat that? I don't know. But uh, so we wanted to talk about marriage this month because marriage is, of course, the most important relationship besides for the relationship with the Lord that we'll ever have. And it's one that the enemy has put a big bullseye on and um, and likes to go after. That's the primary place that the enemy tries to destroy is marriages. And we know that because 50% of Christians are divorced, which is just incredible. So there's not a whole lot of difference between our statistics and the world's statistics. And so John and I felt like um, it would be a good time to, to uh, talk about it. You just like to talk about our love and our... Whatever. We've already been warned by our some people and our staff. Okay, we don't want to have secondary embarrassment. So could you just chill out? And we're like, what Come are on, you Come on, people, be about? adults. So, uh, yeah, we're excited about sharing about our lives because we, we don't have a good marriage. We have a great marriage. Okay? Thank you. Thank you. But we, it has it hasn't been easy in every season, and there have been seasons that we've had to really fight for love. And so we we're not up here going, we got married and it's been awesome the whole time. It's not like that. We we are up here saying to you that um, that we've really sought out the word and said, okay, God, what is your way? We want to do it your way. Exactly. And we had to get out of our own way in order to find that. And I'm really proud of Tracy over this. She's learned to repent so amazingly well. I mean, it just happens several times a day, and it's it's a beautiful thing as a husband to see her grow like that in the kingdom. Now, um, all joking aside, uh, you know, this this whole marriage thing is God's idea. It's God's deal. And, you know, if you stop to think about it, I mean, a lot of times we, we're already used to this. You know, we were born into a world where it's already happening. But if you think about God's design for marriage, I want to talk about that a little bit today. But it's a very special thing. Guys, I want to talk to you a minute. You know, we almost missed it. We're just a bunch of dudes running around, you know, slaying animals. And, uh, you know, we got our cave there. Nothing on the walls, you know. No coffee table. There wasn't anything, no art. I mean, here we are. We're just a bunch of dudes running around. I have one change of clothes, you know. I mean, right? I mean, we wouldn't... Don't take a shower. We wouldn't know how we looked unless we had someone to point that out to us, right? But anyways... Or dress, or dress, you know, ladies, right? Every time they walk out of the house, it's like, is that what you're wearing? Right. They thought they could dress well until they got married. 
So you get it, guys. But anyway, God saw us in our depravity, and he said, it's not good for men to be alone. God said that, and he made us a helpmate. And he didn't have to just make, you know, a helpmate, somebody that could, you know, boil the water or whatever. He made us someone that's full of color, full of life, full of beauty, that really has just, I mean, instantly brought beauty into the earth. And so uh, can we just take a minute and thank him? Lord, we just thank you so much for women. Lord, we no, no joking, Tracy. Come on, get this right. Lord, we thank you for women. We thank you that they bring light and color and beauty into our world. And we just, we just admire them. We love them so much in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's, uh, let's put up a first scripture. It's always a good place to start if you're in church. And uh, if, if you don't have it pulled up, it's, uh, it's Mark 10, 6 through 9. <clears throat> NIV is what I have um, up here, but New King James is the correct version. Uh, but NIV will work as well. Yeah, I got a few amens out of here. Um, so some tools for marriage. It said, at the beginning of creation, let's see, but from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Go ahead. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Interesting. And then they are no longer two, but one flesh. He said it twice. So the two people become one person. I've told some of the, uh, we'd be doing some marriage counseling and the couple's fighting and all, I said, hey, dude, let me help you out here. You know, fighting with her is like hitting yourself in the head with a hammer. It's, I mean, it's like, uh, it's not going to help you very much uh, to treat her that way or talk to her that way. Um, the fact is you've become one. It's like hitting yourself. And so what, what God, he's trying to show us here something that's very uh, special, uh, that we come together, number one, in, in the flesh, in other words, our intimacy, um, you know, the physical, um, which we're grateful for, right, guys? But uh, the, the physical part, but also in the soulish part, like um, think about, you know, just your daily emotional uh, journey. You're able to pour out emotions and to share at a much deeper, deeper level than just the physical. And then finally, the spiritual level, uh, level is achieved when you're really, you're tucked under God. God is the third strand. The three-stranded cord is not easily broken. So that's God's plan for marriage is to put those three together and so that you can be fully who you are. And uh, when, we, uh, when we join with our mate, then the picture is complete. See, God didn't uh, need anything. God, all of the attributes of woman and man are in God. He brought all the love. He brought, he was, before there was a, a woman, he already had those attributes. They came from him. But through the woman, we are complete. The two of us are complete, man and woman together. Does that make sense? And so um, some of the things, you know, a lot of people, they will marry but not merge. And we have this thing today, it's like, well, I'm going to get married, uh, but I, it's more like a partnership. I got my partner, 
because, dude, it's really hard. Everything's expensive, so we're going to share the rent. And there, there are benefits to this. Don't get me wrong. I'm not making fun. I'm just saying that partnerships, that's a good thing to be partnered with someone to help do life with. Yeah. But we're not talking about that. We're talking God's original plan for marriage. God's plan for marriage is much deeper, much more emotional, much more spiritual than a partnership. See, in a, in a merged marriage, the two become one. And not only that, they, they don't have to do, they don't have to rely on so many things like, uh, coping mechanisms just to kind of get along or rules. Like we've literally done counseling with couples. There's like, uh-uh, no, it's Tuesday. You have to do the dishes on Tuesday nights. It's like, really? Um, I mean, they literally work it all out like a business meeting of how they're going to run their household. Now, if you do that, don't get me wrong, but um, all I'm saying is, is that it's not a business. It's not like, a, a, you know, a company you're structuring, a, a partnership per se, because partnerships are, they, they are really formed to to tell each partner how far they can go and where the boundaries are. Can I jump in? Sure. So a couple of things, several things that keep you from truly merging are independence, fear, mistrust, selfishness, addictions, and unforgiveness. These become walls of separation. These are some of the things. In fact, I encourage you guys uh, to take notes on some of this because there's some good stuff here. Um, we, we've done a lot of research over the years that will, oh, don't put that up yet. We don't want that one up. Take that down. Don't look. Don't peek. You saw nothing. So here are some of the things. Um, because you refuse to merge, again, like John said, what you do is, as a, as couples, you, you, you create walls of separation and it becomes places of division. And in that division, instead of fighting for the merging, you develop systems of coping that keep you separate, but enable you to still function within the realm of your family. You know what I'm saying? Because it happens. So one one example of that is when Tracy and I met, <clears throat> we were um, we're getting healthier as we go along. Okay, but when we met, um, I had this issue with trust. How do I get an issue with trust? Well, I let that in uh, because I'd been betrayed before. And so it was very difficult for me to trust her because I brought all that junk into the the relationship. And so the way it manifested was, I don't trust you, so I fear going into a relationship with you. And so I was crazy about Tracy, but we went ahead with our relationship. It started as friends, moved into a relationship, but I couldn't go to that next point of intimacy with her because of trust issues. And that, again, that's, that's a wall of separation. Fortunately for us, we, I was able to break through that, uh, that trust. And the day I trusted her, I realized I actually had someone tell me that being free is not just a matter of being single. Being free is actually having a free heart to choose what you want for your life. And the day I got that revelation is the day I tracked her down. She was coming home from a date. Yes, we were broken up. This is true. And I asked her to marry me that night. What'd you say? I said, okay. <laughs> I said, yes. 
She did say yes. I, yeah. But yeah. It, you see how that, that can happen. You bring stuff in. Now, fortunately, we dealt with this before because I got freedom that day and I asked her to get married. Now, again, once we got married, and you'll see this a little further down, it doesn't mean that the fear went away. Fear was still there. There were a lot of things. You know how you date and you're like, oh, this person is just, you know, makes my heart come alive and everything about them is wonderful. And, and, and you, all you can think about is when we get married, it's going to be amazing. And then you get married and then the battle begins. Right. And, and so, uh, and the battle, it, it's so interesting because what the battle is though, we, we mistake, we mistake the battle and we think the battle is against each other, but the battle is actually against the enemy who's trying to stop you from growing in love. And, and there's something that the Lord set up for us, which is this place where there's, there's a wonder of love. It is, it is the highest, the deepest, the widest, most explosive expression of love outside of that standing before the Lord, where there is unyielding, nothing that separates us. He wanted us to have a, a vulnerable kind of love that, that is, that touches the hem of his garment. And that's the kind of love that he's looking for in marriages that we have the, the right to experience as sons and daughters. And that's something we want to talk about today. I think you have another scripture. Malachi. Well, I do. Uh-huh. But before we go Malachi there, Malachi 2.13, I do wanna, you want to go ahead and pull that go up? Go ahead and pull it up. I do want to talk about that too. If you, um, if you don't go that direction then you're going to have the battle of wills. You're going to have uh, the couple fighting for position. And I just want to go ahead and say that a lot of times for, for men, for us, is we play the, you know, we're the, we're the head card. You know, hey, I'm the head, so you work for me. And you do what you're told, you know, type thing. That works great, guys. Just tell them that. <laughs> <clears throat> You want to get that established right up front, right? But headship is not like that. But you don't want to fight with one another and strive with one another in that situation. But it will come to that unless you're aiming for that deeper love that Tracy's talking about. So now we can uh, pull up that uh, Malachi 2, 13 and 14, please. In the ESV. You're really flipping around. You got uh, I am. you even have passion in here. What kind of church is this? I know. I love it. No, I do like some of the passion. It really uh, is the dream of the father though. Um You want to read this one? Marriage would be union that would demonstrate Christ in his church. Union's a good way to look at it. You want to read that one? Oh. Something. And the second thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears and weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offspring, the offering, excuse me, or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and your wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. 
Then in Malachi 2.15 in the New King James Version, but he did not make them, did he not make them one? Let me start over. But did he not make them one? Having a remnant of the spirit. And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit. Let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. And then in the message version of that, which I love, I don't know if they can pull it up, but um, the message version of that, God, not you, God, not me, not John, made marriage. His spirit inhabits even the smallest details of marriage. And what, and what does he want from marriage? Children of God, that's what. So guard the spirit of your marriage within you and don't cheat on your spouse. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't get that really. I mean, I do get it. I can get how people do cheat in uh, moments of passion or things like that. But you think about it. I mean, if you're going for uh, this this special relationship that's that's like none other and going for as literally a spiritual experience in your marriage, then uh, when we keep secrets or we cheat, even if it's not, you know, acted out physically, but when we have um, emotional affairs or we're giving away anything that belongs, you know, to your spouse that should be for them, giving away your flirtation, your, you know, whatever it is, when we're going in that direction, it's going to hinder the intimacy between you and your mate. But I love how the message Bible says it, the spirit, guard the spirit, spirit of, the, of the marriage. Of the marriage. And so he's saying to us, we really do have to be very aware that what the enemy wants is what he wanted in the garden. He wanted to destroy the very first covenantal relationship that God created for man and woman to, to reflect his image. And so guarding that means that we really have to be aware that the enemy seeks to devour that very covenantal relationship. And then think about it. I mean, the, uh, God's earth is multiplying. It's being fruitful. And so he desires godly offspring to keep it all going right. In a, um, in a loveless marriage... I mean, without the physical, there's going to be no offspring. But godly offspring looks different than just offspring. You know, a lot of animals mate. They meet one time, they mate, and that's the end of it. But with godly offspring, it's different. You're actually setting up a household now where you have children, and children watch what you do. Right. Children develop under your, your care and leadership. And it perpetuates that love going forward or, it, or the lack of it. And it's a witness. God set us up <clears throat> in marriage to be a witness to the world. And that witness is threefold. Okay. Um, it is, it is intimacy in love. It is a physical connection, a covenantal physical connection called sex. But within that is beauty and love and intimacy and purity that God created, and it is unto holy offspring that we would uh, create children out of it. Um, but not just children, but also a deep connection with one another. 
And the second is that our soul would be in union as well. Our mind and our emotions would merge and mesh. Have you ever, uh, have you ever met a, a couple that's like in their eighties and when they talk, they finish each other's sentences. Like they can't talk without saying, like finishing one another. Who, who have ever, has ever seen when Harry met Sally? Don't watch it. Okay. Okay. But you know, the old people that they interview, it's hilarious because they talk. John and I have found ourselves doing that. Like we'll finish We're one another. We're not in our eighties. At least one of us. <laughs> not yet. But it'll be fun when we get there, I promise. <clears throat> and then in the spirit, we are to be one in the spirit, connected with the Lord um, in union with him. And so it's just a beautiful witness. This is a testimony of the Lord that all three of those, and our kids will see that all three of these are flowing through the household and producing fruit for them to witness, producing holy so offspring. Holy, holy is important too. Holy is you know, important. Holy is really important. You know, people say, well, you know, I want happiness. But really, holiness is the right way to happiness. That's why God He's, created marriage. Yeah, that's why God created marriage. Mm -hmm. If you want to be happy, a lot of people say, well, I'm not getting my needs met or I'm not happy or whatever. But you can't expect the other person to do that for you. You can, you can expect to lean on God in God's ways and be holy and leads to happiness because unholiness leads to a lot of sorrows has been my experience. I've done both. Yeah. And I think we, to a certain degree, all do both. But holiness is what you're going for, brings happiness in the relationship in the right order that Tracy's talking about. Yeah. And we're going to get into a lot more of that on the third week of our marriage series. Okay. So uh, the enemy is trying to destroy marriage. Again, 50% divorce rate. That actually goes down for couples that go uh, together to church. That's 38%. And then those that pray together. Let me tell you what. You want an accelerator? Pray together in the mornings. It is incredible what happens to your marriage when you start your day off with thanking the Lord for your husband. Thank you, God, for John. That's how we begin our, our mornings now. Thank you, God, for our marriage. Thank you for our love. Thank you, God, for our children, you know, and so we just go through it. And so that thankfulness, what it does is it kind of sets the tone because um, the enemy will give you a laundry list of everything that's wrong with your spouse. But if you start the day off with everything that you can think of that you're thankful for, it really does set the tone for the day. What's well, uh, Rick Joyner says... Uh you're either in um, accusation or intercession. Or intercession. Mm -hmm. That's a big one. That's noteworthy, people. That's that's really something because you know I can even Tracy. Now you're not gonna believe the next thing I say to you right now, but even Tracy has things. If I wanted to pick at, I could find things wrong with her. Oh boy, the list is long. I actually, uh, you know, talk about get vulnerable. I have a list of everything that's wrong with John and I. So that'll be fun. My list is much longer. Yes, it is. It is. It's true. Because <laughs> I made the list. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. She's I really actually, right. No, no, I counted. I counted and made sure that they were equal. More than five? No, there was just five. Oh, okay. All right. So let's uh, turn in our Bibles to Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. Um, New King James <clears throat> Version. Then God said, let us make... 
Let us make man in our image. Okay, I want you to circle that word, our. Make him in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion, both of them, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him Male and female, he created them. Interesting how he says this over and over. He created him, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves. Okay, so there was one man, Adam, okay? He made Adam. Adam was first, but within Adam was Eve. He made them. He made him to, within Adam was both the masculine and the feminine form of God. Okay, fast forward. Now, they were, he was called to be an image bearer. But again, God said, okay, it is not good for a man to be alone. Again, he would be eating cereal every night. Eve's going to make him a hot meal. She's going to put some veggies with it, something green on the plate that he has to eat, right? Keto. Right, keto. <laughs> She's like, Adam, getting a little fluffy there <laughs> from eating all this bread. So uh, anyway not good for a man to be alone. So, so brilliant what happened next. He said this in New King James Version, Genesis 2.18. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Now, I want to go through the meaning of these words because it's very important. God defined her as his helper. This word means, the Hebrew means Helpmate and succor, which means, succor means to aid, to help, to administrate, ladies, to comfort, to guide, to sustain, to protect, and to minister to. That is your job description as a helpmate. And then he said comparable. She will be comparable, meaning she will be before his face and in his view or purpose, and she will be parallel to him. She will be the feminine version of his masculine version of God. She was so like him in image as a bearer of God's image that he actually named her part of his name. And he named her woman. His name is within our name, our title. That's how united we're supposed to be, that we came out of him. And, and what I find so interesting is it says that God put Adam into a deep sleep and out of his side, 
He took a rib. This word is actually used in the building of the Ark of the Covenant. Covenant. This rib actually means that a chamber, he took it out of his side as a chamber opened up. The very same thing happened to Jesus when he hung on the cross. He died. A deep sleep came upon him. He died. And he was pierced in his side and a chamber was opened up that allowed a, a birthing, blood and water came out of his side as a birth canal, giving birth to his bride, us. These are all symbolic now, I don't know if Adam wandered around without a rib, but it actually says the same word um, that describes this opening was sala, which means to limp or be lame. So he was wounded in order to give birth to this woman. It could have been a cell. It could have been an actual physical rib. But it's, it means that he created a chamber that something flowed out of. And that was us, ladies. Isn't that incredible that out of a, out of the strength of our, of, 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 of a man came woman? It's really such a beautiful picture. Genesis 2.18. Um, says this in the uh, New King James. And the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And Adam said in verse 23, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Matthew and Jesus addressed this truth as well in Matthew 19. He said in the, in the message, haven't you read in your Bible that the creator originally man, made man and woman for each other, male and female. And because of this, a man leaves his father and mother and is fir firmly bonded to his wife, becoming one flesh, no longer two bodies, but one because God created this organic union of the two sexes. No one should desecrate his art by cutting them apart. Isn't that beautiful? It is very beautiful, but i got to give you the rest of the story. Tell me. So it's, a, it's going along pretty nice. And then we have the adversary that came. And then Eve ate of the tree she shouldn't eat of. And then Adam responded. You decide if it was appropriate or not. But he, he accused her and said, it's that woman you gave me. So suddenly this beautiful thing, this beautiful relationship, this spiritual experience, this helper um, that the Lord saw it in his, in his good intentions and good mind. And, you know, he saw that it wasn't good for Adam to be without 
And so he made woman for us. But now we've got this problem, this issue, this battle, this struggle between um, man and his wife. And as you go along in the story, they even started talking about how do I get rid of her, like divorce. And it's interesting the way that is. Jesus responds to this. And, of course, they, they brought up the scripture about, well, what about Moses? Moses gave us the ability to, to write a script or to write a, a certificate of divorce. And we don't have to stay with her. I'm fast forwarding now, but to Moses' time. And they're like, what about this? And so they quickly were like, let's put away this, this wife. And, yeah, they um, continue that in Matthew 19. <clears throat> they shot back in rebuttal and said, if that is so, why did Moses give instructions for divorce paper and divorce procedures? But the, the fact is that um, Jesus corrects that right away. He said that was never the intent. You know, it was never the intent. The original intent was for you guys to stay together. And I'm paraphrasing, but to stay together and make this wonderful experience out of marriage. But now, um, you know, he did that as a concession because your hearts were hard, you know. And he wanted, you know, he gave you this way out um, because your hearts were hard. But that, but that's not the intent. And it's like holding us to a higher standard now. You know, through Jesus' coming, he's holding that high standard that it's like we're not, we shouldn't be doing that. And, uh, and God says in other places that he hates divorce, which grieves me because I've been through two of them. I know, right? You're like, dude, and you're the pastor? What's going on? <laughs> well, all right, the last one, after 15 years, it happened actually on the end of betrayal and adultery on my wife's part, and I ended up actually getting saved for real out of that horrible experience. Is God good? So again, um, but but these things happen. Tracy has a similar story. We'll talk about our stories more next week. But anyways, um, so what are we saying here? That that the intent is if for us to go for the bigger thing and not just be companions, but go for the bigger thing and really honor God with our marriages. So I'm going to jump back in here. Um, again, um, here's what the mindset was of these men when Jesus was walking the earth, okay? They had this conversation with him about marriage, and and Jesus was addressing this. And again, back to the message in, in Matthew 19, verse 4 to 6. Haven't you read in your Bible that the Creator originally made man and woman for each other? So he's talking to them about marriage. He's going, look, this is the way it's going to be. And because of this, a man leaves his father and mother and firmly bonded to his wife, becoming one flesh. No longer two bodies, but one. Because God created this organic union of the two sexes, no one should desecrate his art by cutting them apart. And I love how the message Bible says it, because here's the truth. Every single one of you is uniquely created by God. There has never been anyone beautiful, as beautiful as each one of us. Each one of us is uniquely made. Blonde hair, brunette hair, blue eyes, brown eyes, personality, skin color, everything about us, our ethnicity. I mean, everything about us is so beautiful and unique, right? And then we marry someone who is also beautiful and unique. And then the two of us come together, even more beautiful and unique, right? And the Lord's like, 
Whoa, look at that. Individually, they're fabulous. Together, they're amazing, okay? So, fast forward. So then they shoot back. The the Pharisees shoot back and they say, um, if that is so, why did Moses give instructions for divorce papers and divorce procedures? Jesus said, Moses provided for divorce as a concession to your hard heartedness, but it is not part of God's original plan. I'm holding you to the original plan and holding you liable for adultery if you divorce your faithful wife and then marry someone else. I make an exception in cases where the spouse has committed adultery. Okay, stop there. What is he saying? They're looking at him and they're going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Because women at that time were like possessions, I mean, they, the women had no rights. They didn't vote. They didn't eat in the same room with men most of the time. They were thought of as their possession. They were, they were like, I own a house. I own a woman. And so the thought that they couldn't just discard them, men were going, what? Even the disciples, listen to what the disciples said. Jesus' disciples objected. If those are the terms of marriage, we haven't got a chance. Why would we ever get married if we can't discard this wife when when she displeases us? So I think a lot of people feel that way in marriage. They feel stuck, right? They feel stuck. They feel like that their wife is the problem. And I'm not saying that we, you know, each of us is the problem for the other one at times. But again, if, I mean, we're not painting a bad picture here. We're just saying, let's get real, if anything. I mean, a lot of people feel stuck in their marriages. And so what, what is that? Uh, so what are we saying here? It's, we start blaming. You're either in intercession or accusation and you begin to make the list. And the list is not going, it's not going to go well for you when you start making the list. Because again, you're making a list, you're now one, you're making a list of your faults in your wife. You're making a list of your, of your marriage or what's wrong with you and you're looking for the exit uh, door. And that's not the intent. It's not the heart of the marriage. It's not the intent of the marriage. Right. Let's go ahead and put up, um, let's see, what's that scripture? Matthew 19, 11 and 12. Yeah, throw that one up. But Jesus said, not everyone is mature enough to live in a married, to live a married life. It requires a certain aptitude and grace. Marriage isn't for everyone. Some from birth seemingly never give marriage a thought and others never get asked to or accepted. And um, some decide not to get married for the kingdom reasons. But if you're capable of growing into the largeness of marriage, then do it. I mean, think about that statement, the largeness of marriage. I mean, mean, it's definitely going to take more um, selflessness. I mean, it's going to take more laying down your life. You got to share your stake with her. I mean, it's, you know, I tell these young men, I say, you're chasing pretty hard there. But what are you going to do if you catch her? Then you got to feed her. You know what I mean? I know I'm kind of country, but, um, but the, but it's really true, you know, and some of them are saying the same to me. What if I catch one? What do I do then? I have to move out of my parents' house, you know? So, uh, yeah, I say and that I in mean, That is funny, but it's true for women as well. These women, they're like, I want to get married. And I'm like, girl, you can't even take care of yourself. How are you going to take care of a man? 
Oh. Yes. I Let me tell you, you. so I want to brag on Tracy for a minute. You know, Tracy runs a church. Uh, we have seven children, 13 grandchildren. So she's very involved with children and grandchildren. But I'm going to tell you, this woman can cook. And she puts a meal on the table several times a week for Samuel and I. Our house is usually clean. If not, it's close. If not, we call somebody to clean it. But uh, but she does it. She does a tremendous job. And thank you. You're one so of the sweet. smartest like, things she I like did. This marriage thing. Now what, I got to tell you, this is really good, ladies. Listen up. On Amazon, you can get this uh, plastic laundry basket. It's it's a big plastic laundry basket like this. And and frankly, what all you have to do, men, get this. All you have to do if your wife has one of these is you take the laundry, the dirty laundry, and you put in there, and the next day, the laundry shows up in your closet, folded and stacked. It's the craziest thing. I don't know what that cost me, but it is fantastic. Thank you, honey, for, for buying that for me. Yeah. <laughs> Should I tell him? <laughs> All right. Uh, covenant versus contract. So a covenant is a circle. That's where the wedding band came from, you know, put it around our, that wasn't just, you know, jewelry. It actually represents something. Um, I'm giving all of me to all of you, and I don't get to withhold it, even when you hurt my feelings, even when you've done something that really made my heart hurt. And I think that was the hardest lesson that I had to learn about how to love through pain and how to keep cooking him food <laughs> without p putting poison in it. <laughs> I had a, ta <laughs> my hurt a taster feelings. for a while there. I was thinking <laughs> maybe, <laughs> you know, I was thinking I'll just, okay, never mind. You know, I had those things that go through your mind as you're cooking, you know, you're like, you know, you hurt my feelings and I'm, you know, because Again, working all of this out is working the edges off of one another. God created us to live in covenant, again, to perfect us to stand before him. <clears throat> but uh, one I never considered snuffing you out, Tracy. <laughs> you want to confess that. I know, I know. Right, right. Yeah. Lord, I repent. Again, I repent. But again, giving all of me to all of him all the time. Everything of mine is his and vice versa. <clears throat> so everything we have will be enlarged. Two can set 10,000 to flight. A contract is a document to constrict and restrict movements of boundaries. Um, if you don't make me happy, then I'm out of here. But a covenant helps to merge a husband and wife so they can become more like Christ. A covenant provides... Two shall become one flesh and benefit from the other's strengths. So I want to show you how this, now you can put up the, the um, circles that I made. Okay. So this is actually from the Bevere's book on uh, marriage. And I love how they demonstrated this. I kind of added some of my own stuff to it because, you know. All right. So if you look at this, you can see the blue is John and the pink is me. And all of the things in red were what we were bringing into the marriage. All of the things in blue, all of the 
all of the fleshly, demonic, generational bad things that we were bringing into the marriage. And then you've got everything in blue and pink were all of the strengths that we were bringing into the marriage. So when we first got married, we are both looking at all of those strengths and we're thinking, oh, I love you so much. And then you actually move under one roof. And, and when you walk down that aisle and you become covenant, something happens. The meshing begins and all of a sudden the battle begins because you're like, wait a minute. What is that lust? What is that fear? What is that control? Well, you know, you're acting this way. So I'm going to get in control. You're being jealous. So I'm going to, I'm going to pull away my love, you know, so all of a sudden this battle begins and this wrestling begins for power. Who's going to be right? Who's going to be in charge? It's simple. The man is the head. Who saw a big fat Greek wedding? But the woman is the neck, and she can turn the head any way she wants to. Okay, that's not actually biblical. It's funny, though. It is funny. Getting too serious in here. So I want you to look at this, because John came into the marriage. He is a pastor. God created him. He's a pastor. He's a teacher. He's a prophet. The the pastoral part of John, I was not a pastor at all. When I say I wasn't a pastor, I was a hardcore black and white prophet. And he loved that about me because wisdom comes with that, you know, clarity. I was a teacher, but I was an apostle, prophet, teacher. He's a pastor. And I was just like, oh my gosh, you're so cuddly. You're so warm. You make me feel so safe. He's like, every Thank time you, I was huh? around him, it was like putting on a blanket, you know, just like, whoop, and made me feel so loved and so seen and so safe. And then the we got married and then came the anger and the bitterness and the fear and all of these things. And sometimes he would sin in his anger and sometimes I would sin in my control or my manipulation or my distrust or my independence, ladies, independence, right? Um, so that happened. And so what, what, uh, the beauty of the Lord, and we're going to give you some more handlebars next week, but, um, I want to show you, let's go to the next, uh, slide. As time goes on, this is what the Lord is looking for. What happened is we began to merge our strengths. And um, this is what the Lord told me this morning as I was praying for this. He said this. The beginning wasn't Adam and Eve. It was Adam. Covenant was an external reunion of the original design. You were reunioned with your husband or your wife, which created a oneness in us. And he said this, the things that make you different are the things that also make you complete in one. John and I are not the same. And, you know, the longer I was married, I always was like, why aren't you a woman yet? We've lived together long enough. Because he doesn't think like me. 
But the That's strengths true. of what he has, see, if I continued to, to reject him, then I couldn't receive all of this of what he is, his strength, his safety, his mercy, his intellect, his patience. I am not a patient person. I, when we got married, I, I couldn't spell the word mercy. But John was so kind and merciful. And through the years, I've become so more pastoral. It's true. We've really moved toward the center, both of we us. We merged, have. and the strength of his attributes and the strength of my attributes, we've become one. But if we had continued to declare war on one another instead of declaring war on the enemy, we would have never fully merged. And I would not be where I am today, and neither would he. We have, we have accelerated in life and achieved the things that God has called us to because of the strength that is in him and the strength that is in me. A lot of couples that are um, alphas, which we both are, a lot of alpha couples can't make it together. Uh, you know, you'll have marriage counselors tell you that. Oh, you guys, no wonder you can't get along. You're both alphas. You need one to, you know, be the submissive type person. But um, I don't I don't buy into that. I think two can set 10,000 to flight. Y'all agree, church? And I believe that having strong marriages where both parties have a voice and both parties are strong in that and and gentlemen, it, it's up to us as the head to make sure that we strengthen our wives, give them wings and not weights, and get our thumb off of their head and push them up yeah. and begin to raise up godly women for godly offspring. Can I get an amen? Woo, woo. All right, I think we're done. Are we done for today? I could go on and on. Honey. I know, I know. We're having a lot of fun. I hope y'all are having <clears> as much fun as we are.